0: all have some sense that there is some destiny to fulfill with our lives. And yet so many people struggle to lay hold of that, to really start living the life that they know would be fulfilling their destiny. That's what I think it means to actually live our lives to the full. That's what I think it means to get the most out of life. Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're heading into the next message in this four-part series Discover Your Destiny because with all my heart I'm believing that God wants to set our lives on the course that he always had planned. Amen. So let's dive into God's word and please do stay tuned because in just a few minutes I'll be telling you about our latest life application booklet. It's called How to Live Your Life to the Full. I'd love to send you a free copy to help you do just that to be All that God made you to be. So, can I ask you something? Are you really living life to the full? Come on, I mean, really. The worst possible outcome to my life, and I think to yours too, is to get to the end of it one day and to look back and think to ourselves I think I missed out. I I don't think I lived the life I was meant to live. I, I don't think I fulfilled my destiny. If only I could go back and live it again and and do it properly this time. Don't you agree? Wouldn't that be just the most tragic outcome to our lives here on this earth? It seems to me that we can be alive and kicking, but not really living life. We can be alive, but for all intents and purposes, be dead. So I guess when I talk about discovering your destiny, what I'm really talking about is being who you were always meant to be and living the life you were always meant to live, getting the most out of life. Is that something that you want? I certainly do, and I'm hoping that you do as well. And so today we're going to take a look at a man who, in a very real sense, managed to get a second chance. And whatever you may think of his story, his name is Lazarus, the question is, what does it say about your life here and now and the possibility of a second chance? It's a powerful story, the story of Lazarus. It's about a real man who died and whom Jesus, we're told, brought back to life again. Now there are two parts to the story. We'll look at the first half right now and the second part after a short break on the program. So so let's have a bit of a read. John's Gospel, chapter 11, is where you'll find the story of Lazarus. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who had previously poured perfume on Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love, Lazarus, is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness won't end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed where he was for two more days, and then he said to his disciples, Well, okay, let's get up and go to Judea. But Jesus, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? And Jesus answered, Aren't there twelve hours of daylight in a day? A man who walks by day won't stumble, for he sees the world's light. It's when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he said these things, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up again. Now his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. But Jesus had been speaking of his death, and the disciples thought he meant that Lazarus was just asleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I wasn't there, so that you may believe, but let's go to him right now. The last couple of programs, we've dealt with an issue that um, so many of us don't really want to deal with head on. Sin. I mean, in our world, sin is something of a four-letter word. The stuff in our lives we know is wrong that robs us of life itself. When I look back on my life as a wealthy, apparently successful businessman on the outside, people envied me. I, I seemed to have it all together. I seemed to have it all, but on the inside... I was dying. I was dead and empty and hollow, just like a shell, truly. I described myself as a dead man walking. And so many people are living their lives that way today. Really, they are. Are the things that you're doing wrong robbing you of the life you're meant to be living? Are you a bit like this Lazarus, alive sort of, but not really? Sure, physically alive, but spiritually, through the things that you're doing with your life, not really having a life at all? You know something? It doesn't matter how much we deny it and try and put a respectable face to it or, or sell it as a feature of our freedom to do whatever we want. Sin does that to all of us. It makes us dead on the inside. At this point, someone might be saying, come on, Bernie, what, a, what an old-fashioned point of view. If you're in that camp, I encourage you to do something. Take Take a look, a good hard look, at the way that you're living your life and ask yourself, am I really being the me I was meant to be? Am I really living the life I was meant to live? Do I have this sense that I'm fulfilling my destiny? See, to me, it's a tragedy when people can't answer those questions with a clear assurance that yes, they are being the person they were made to be. Yes, they do have a deep sense that they're fulfilling the destiny that God has for them. Because that's what God wants for your life. He wants a new life. Well, let's look at new life. Let's look at how things unfolded in this story of Lazarus. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, and Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to him, if you'd been here, if you'd only been here earlier, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. But Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on that last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into this world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. The teacher, Jesus, is here, she said. He's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she quickly got up and went out to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered their village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, thinking that she was going to the tomb to mourn there for Lazarus. When Mary reached Jesus and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along also weeping, He was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See, Jesus loved Lazarus. But some of them said, Couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind have come and kept this man from dying? See, here's the thing. Nobody was expecting Jesus to come along and raise Lazarus from the dead. And when we look at our lives and when we see how dead things can be on the inside... And we look at God and say, God, why didn't you show up earlier? And we can't imagine how God could possibly breathe life into our situation. We can believe he could have done something back there, like the people with Lazarus. He could have stopped him from dying. We can believe that one day we will rise again and have eternal life. But it can be so hard, so hard to believe that Jesus could come and bring a new life today, here and now. Let me ask you, what do you believe? Well, let's get back to the Lazarus story because there's so much more in it about living our lives to the full. Remember, everyone wanted Jesus to have fixed the problem before Lazarus died. But Jesus had said to his disciples, he had a different plan, a plan that people around him didn't really understand. So no one could see it. Jesus was saying it to Martha, Lazarus's sister. He said, your brother will rise again. Martha said, look, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she doesn't get it. She's happy to believe in pie in the sky when you die, but not so much about steak on the plate while you wait, if that makes sense. Let's pick up this story and just read the simple story. It's in John's Gospel, chapter 11, and it begins at verse 38. Jesus was deeply moved when he came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of Lazarus, by this time a bad odor will be there. I mean, he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? I love that. If you believed, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, and then Jesus stood up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I always knew that you would, but I'm saying this for the benefit of the people around me, that they might believe that you have sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen, and a cloth was around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus was deeply moved. I mean, he loved Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. He cared for them. Lazarus was a good friend. That's why Jesus wept for him. So it's not some publicity stunt, but it's a tender encounter. And people were thinking, well, what's Jesus up to? He can't do this. I mean, Lazarus is dead. He's going to smell. He's on the nose. His flesh is already rotting. I reckon we have to be very, very careful indeed about telling God what he can and he can't do, about putting God in a little box of our expectations, imagining somehow that he could never bring Lazarus back to life, imagining somehow he could never really bring life back into us. You see, all these people, Mary, Martha, the disciples, all the others, they'd seen Jesus do amazing miracles, yet they couldn't believe that he would actually bring a man back to life. It didn't even enter their minds, but he did. And and look at the picture of Lazarus when he walks out of the tomb. Lazarus, come out, said Jesus. The dead man came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. You see, Lazarus was bound up in his grave clothes, and this is a picture that looks a lot like some people that I know living a half-life. On the one hand, Jesus has spoken a word of life into them, but on the other, they're still bound up in their grave clothes, bound up in the things of the past, of the old life. When Lazarus walked out of that tomb, beneath those grave clothes, he was living and breathing. There was colour in his cheeks, but he couldn't live the rest of his life wrapped in those grave clothes. And the same is true for you and me. Some people have life flowing through their veins because Jesus put it there and yet they have one foot in the past, in that dead half-life that didn't work, trying to live life to the full, kind of hoping things would work out, but they never quite did. That picture of a living man wrapped in grave clothes is the picture of many a man's life, many a woman's life. We want to live life to the full. We want to discover our destiny. And yet the past wraps us up and stops us from doing that. You know something? There's a reason for that. You can't live your life wrapped in grave clothes. What sort of life do you think it would have been if Lazarus had continued on wrapped in those grave clothes? And Anyway, that wasn't Jesus' plan for him. Jesus said to them, "'Take off the grave clothes and let him go.'" You like that bit? Let him go, set him free, set him free to be the Lazarus he was always meant to be. Friend, how are you living your life? Is it a life lived to the full, or is it a life held back by the past? Is it a life full of joy and peace? Or are you still struggling with the stupid things you keep doing wrong all the time? Is it a life of freedom, or is it a life wrapped in the grave clothes of your past? I can ask you those questions, but I can't answer them for you. Only you can do that. And wherever you are, do, does a question rise up in your heart, a question that goes something like this, isn't there some better way of living my life? There has to be. Well, there is, and it's a boots and all thing. Ah, oh, you know, Bernie, but, but I want to hang on to this compromise or that old attitude. I still want to cheat or lie or, or be tight with my money or or not serve other people. And I want to be selfish because, you know, all all this Jesus stuff is not particularly convenient. Great, great. Stay in your grave clothes. But don't expect to live your life to the full. Don't expect to realize your destiny. The alternative is to set our hearts like flint on living life to the full, no matter what the cost. You know, there is a cost. There is a cost for a heroin addict to give up heroin. There is a cost for an alcoholic to give up alcohol. There is a cost for a smoker to give up smoking. The first step always is admitting who we are, where we're at, and the second is the step of deciding, here and now. You know something? That joker on the radio has a point. I do have to do something. I can't live my life wrapped in these grave clothes anymore. And you know, our grave clothes are all different for some people. It might be lying and cheating. For others, it might be gossiping. For other people, it might just be a deep attitude of selfishness. You look in the mirror and you know what it is. And yet we're powerless to take off the grave clothes until Jesus speaks his power into our lives and says, take off the grave clothes and set him free. My friend, the answer, the only answer is Jesus. Jesus is the one whose power breathed new life into Lazarus. Jesus is the one who set him free. Jesus is the one that can bring new life to you, into your life, and set you free from the things of the past that have robbed you of your life, the full life, the life God made you to live. The answer, the only answer, is Jesus. You know, it can be a lot easier to believe in something way, way out there, something spiritual, something crazy even, than it can be to believe that anyone or anything could improve the lives that we're living right at the moment. How could anyone take a beaten up old wreck like me, me, for goodness sakes, and do anything with me? I want to be the me I was meant to be. I want to live the life I was meant to live. But it all just seems impossible. And you know, so many people have that problem. I had that problem. It's just incredible to me how easily we throw ourselves onto the scrap heap, how easily other people put us out there on the scrap heap, how easily the advertising industry and our economy and all that stuff throws us out onto this scrap heap. It's interesting to me, back in Jesus' day, there were plenty of people, ordinary people like you and me, people who weren't rich or powerful, and some of them even were outcasts in society. If you were disabled in some way, blind or lame you became a beggar because there was no social welfare system in first-century Israel. If you had certain types of diseases, leprosy, for instance, you became an outcast. If you had certain types of occupation, a tax collector, you were an outcast. We have an amazing propensity as people to push other people away for all sorts of different reasons. And sometimes we're not even being pushed away so much as, well, we can have an unhealthy perception of ourselves, low self-esteem it's called these days, or an inability to trust people. There are so many different things from within and without that can act to isolate us, to make us feel as though we don't belong. And the tragedy of all that is that people live their lives not belonging, not feeling loved, not feeling accepted. As a result, what do you do? That's the question. Each person is valuable. You're valuable. You're beautiful. You have gifts and abilities that can have such a great impact in this world. If only other people could see that. If only, let's face it, if only we could see that in ourselves some days. But how? Yeah. There's a beautiful poem by Myra Brooks-Welsh. I'd like to share it with you today. It's called The Touch of the Master's Hand. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you haven't but it's really worth listening to because it speaks into this very dilemma. "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer, though it was scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, he held it up with a smile. "'What am I bidding, good folks?' he cried. "'Who'll start the bidding for me? "'A dollar? A dollar? Then two? Only two? two dollars! Who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. But no." From the room far back, a grey-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then, wiping the dust off the old violin and tightening the loosened strings, he played a melody pure and sweet as carolling angels would sing. The music ceased, and the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low said, What am I bid for this old violin? And he held it up with a bow. A thousand dollars. Who'll make it two? Two thousand. Who'll make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, and going and gone, said he. The people cheered, but some of them cried, We don't quite understand. What changed its worth? And swift came the reply, The touch of the master's hand. And many a man with his life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin a mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, going twice, he's going and almost gone. But the master comes and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. It's only now as I look back on almost 20 years of living this new life that I can see how little by little I've become the me I was meant to be. I keep stressing this, but I am not here to tell you what to believe or how you should see the world. That's something you need to figure out for yourself. But what I can do is tell you how this played itself out in my life. Around 20 years ago, I was experiencing deep rejection and I had this sense of worthlessness. I thought I'd lost everything, all my hopes, all my dreams, all my future. I was that dusty old violin. Truly. People don't expect the guy on the radio to talk about himself like that, but that's exactly how it was. I just couldn't see beyond tomorrow. I couldn't see how I could possibly ever be useful again, or achieve anything, or become the me I was meant to be. Who the heck was I anyway? But there's something you have to realise about that dusty old violin. It's still a violin. Maybe it's been neglected. Maybe it's been disused. Maybe it's out of tune. Maybe it doesn't look that good anymore, but it's still a violin. All it needs is for someone to see it for what it is, and that someone in my life is Jesus. This God they talk about who appeared so irrelevant to me for most of my life was the one that stepped forward from the back of the room to show me exactly what I'm worth, and that right there was the most amazing experience of my life. still is. You and I are made in the image of God. You want to read about that? Go to the very first chapter of the Bible, the book of Genesis, the first page, and it'll tell you that God looked at everything that he created, and he said, let us make man in our image. Male and female, he created us. Our mistakes and all the stuff that life throws at us can definitely make us look and feel and even sound like that old violin. But you know something? All it needs is for the master to come along and tune the strings a bit and strike up a tune and all of a sudden everybody else remembers what they'd forgotten. It's still a violin. When I gave my life to Jesus almost two decades ago, things started to happen. It didn't happen quickly from where I sat. In fact, it felt like it took forever. But other people would say to me, Goodness, what's happened to you? How is it that you're on the radio and you're speaking with all these people? And how's that? Nothing to do with me. I was just a battered old violin in the corner somewhere, washed up, But then there was a touch of the master's hand and he came along and he struck up a tune and he knew exactly who I was and what he'd made me to be and what he'd made me to do and the tune he'd made me to play and he put me in that place and that's what I'm doing today. And that same God, that same Jesus is here today to meet you in the place where you are. Just before we go, I'd like to tell you about a free gift that we'd love to send you to help you experience the power of God more and more in your life. Each month, Bernie writes a new life application booklet around the sorts of issues that we all deal with in life. It's designed to take you deeper into God's Word and then to help you live out what you've discovered. It's about helping you experience God's love and power in your faith walk. To request the latest e-booklet, visit ChristianityWorks.org and you'll see that free offer towards the top of the homepage. I'm believing that it'll be a mighty blessing to you. Again, that web address is ChristianityWorks.org. I'm Jennifer. You've been listening to Christianity Works with Bernie Dimet. And we'll catch you again next time.